0: I'm going to talk about vision next couple of weeks, vision, and uh, I hope it inspires you to think bigger right now, right? Particularly young adults as well. So let me ask you this question. What are you complaining about? Are you complaining about the government? Are you complaining about the economy, about COVID, about your money, about lack of it? Are you complaining about your job, your boss, your kids, or your life? Well, there's a guy in the Bible named Habakkuk. Put that on your jersey, Habakkuk. And his story begins with complaining, complaining, and complaining. Several years ago, I read this article, and I liked it so much, I just stuck it in my notes, and I, I bought it back. It's, it says, what are you complaining about? If you can start the day without caffeine, if you can get along without uh, medical pills, if you can always be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can overlook it when those you love take it out on you through no fault of yours, when something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct him, if you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without alcohol, if you can sleep without drugs, if you can say honestly deep in your heart, you have no prejudice against any creed, color, religion, or politics, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, then my friend, you're almost as good as your dog. (laughs) I love that. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. This is Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Brother, is that true the law has become paralyzed, and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. So when you and I complain, please remember there's somebody listening. God is listening to Habakkuk's complaints. So our first application is pretty simple. The Lord is the silent listener of our conversations. He hears our interpersonal communication, and he hears our silent conversation, those unspoken intentions. Listen to Psalms 139, verse 1 in the Message Bible. I'm an open book to you, Lord. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. So the prophet whines and complains, and he ends chapter 1 with these words in verse 14 through 17. Are we but fish to be caught and killed? Are we but creeping things that have no leader to defend them from their enemies? Must we be strung up on their hooks and dragged out in their nets while they rejoice? Well, then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquest? So Habakkuk does nothing but complain the entire first chapter. He's lodged his complaint with heaven's customer service department. Now he's going to prepare himself for a response. Have you ever called customer service for some business and you got put on hold? Now now they have a recording for some companies that answers the phone. Hello, we estimate your whole time to be three months, eight days, two hours, and one minute. Your call is very important to us. Eh gag me. See, well, the Lord responds immediately to Habakkuk. Now, that's not always the case, right? God doesn't work off my daily planner. I do know he's made everything beautiful in its time, Ecclesiastes says. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1, he goes on to say, I'm going to climb up into my watchtower and wait to see what the Lord will say to me and how he will answer my complaint. So, if you're going to keep your vision fresh, Put yourself in a place to hear from God. It doesn't have to be a physical place, but it's nice when you can get away from distractions and find a quiet place with God. Let me pause to say this. I don't have a prayer closet. My wife has filled every closet. I don't have a prayer closet. I don't know who came up with that idea. The idea is just a place where you can commune with God, a place you can reflect and meditate and open your heart up to Him, right? But if you can't go somewhere physically, put yourself in a mental emotional and spiritual place where you can hear from God. You can do that riding in a car. It's really an attitude of your heart anyway. you can pause at your computer or desk and pray Lord, give me wisdom in this situation or Lord guide me, I'm open for you to direct my steps Once I, I heard the Lord speaking I was I needed an answer, and I'm just focused on it, cutting the grass in July many, many years ago, and as clear as a bell, I just felt an impulse of something, a thought in my mind. It was so clear and simple, and it solved the problem I was facing. God can speak to you through an impression in your heart, a little prompting. God can speak to you through a friend, and they don't even know what you're going through. They had no idea, and God used them to help you at that moment, maybe answer a problem uh, or a need that you had. God can use circumstances to speak to our lives. God can speak to you through the Bible, through the Word of God, through something, somebody, uh, through a movie, through a book. God can speak to you and your mind. Once, God spoke through a donkey. God can use anybody. They had no idea what they were doing, but God used it to help you. God can speak to you through your employer. If you keep showing up late, you're fired. Don't tell me God can't speak. He speaks all the time. Proverbs sixteen three says, roll your works upon the Lord, commit and trust them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. So shall your plans be established and succeed. So Habakkuk puts himself in a place to hear from God. And God says something to him that's going to change his life and turn him around 180 degrees. This is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Then the Lord said to me, Write the vision plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems to be slow in coming, wait patiently for it. It will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So God gives those who seek him vision to inspire, to motivate, and propel you to where he wants you to to, to be. What do you see? Let me ask you to do something for me, a little class participation. This is not the church lotto, but just shout out a number to me, anybody. Just shout out a number. That's good. Okay, did you notice something about all those numbers? Did you hear anybody pick a number larger than a million? Not even close. So, why didn't you pick a larger number? Listen to this. In 1998, Larry Page and Sergey Brin incorporated Google while still graduate students at Stanford University. And according to the Fortune Small Business Magazine, internet users perform over three and a half billion searches a day. On the Google search engine. And at last count, I looked this up the other day, Google was doing about $2 billion annually. Not bad. I could live on that. So how did they get so big? Well, the author of the article said it began with their initial vision. These two guys, to begin their website, their search engine, picked a number, a number one with a hundred zeros after it. That's the number Google. And Jim Reese, who at the time was the chief operating engineer of Google, said this about the company's founders. It takes a lot of confidence and courage to go ahead and be huge. It's rare to find people who think on such a grand scale. You know, when I was talking to the staff two weeks ago, I said, if I could go back and speak to my 18-year-old self, I would beat myself in the head over and over with the words dream big, dream way big, bigger than your race, bigger than your gender, bigger than your family, bigger than your relatives, bigger than your present circle. No, and when you feel like you have to dream bigger, make it bigger. God's, God says there is no limit to that. Why weren't we taught that? Why weren't we taught to just sort of fit in, conform, and live in mediocrity like everybody else around us? whereas the people who change the world stand out. They make a difference. They decide to do something. Other people say, well, it's impossible. Yeah, it is till somebody does it, right? Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, people perish. Another translation says, the people are unrestrained. When you cannot handle addictions, when you can't focus your life, when you're out of control and lack discipline, rules won't help you discipline will help you. But discipline comes through vision. So when an Olympic champion wants to win a gold medal, he has to put himself through several years of discipline. He has to run when he doesn't feel like it. He has to go out and practice when it's cold, when it's hot. He has to make himself do what he doesn't want to do. He has to make himself eat a particular diet when his flesh would love to eat everything else. What's given him the willpower, the discipline? A vision. I want that gold medal. I want a medal at the Tokyo Olympics. Well, what's your vision? That's going to be the railroad tracks that hold you on course, that inspire you. See, so God gives vision, listen, to motivate you, to inspire you, to lift you out of your current situation, to propel our lives in the direction that he wants them to go. And the truth is, most of us, when it comes to our vision, or for our families, for our finances, and for our careers, our vision's too small. Too small. Dream big. I mean, we serve a God of more than enough, and you settle for just enough. Yeah, just enough's like kissing your sister. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't turn me on at all. If my sister's watching, I'm sorry, Sherry, but I got bigger vision than kissing you, okay? (laughs) Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power, that's the power of God, that works in you. God says, come on, step it up. Well, I don't know. Well, I didn't go to college. Well, you know, I've got a child, and I, I, I was never married, and I dropped out of school. Like, you think God's going oh, gee, I didn't know that. I I just guess we'll have to call off our plans. Nothing intimidates God. Nothing. He says His gifts and His callings are irrevocable. God doesn't change His mind about you. There are a lot of detours and setbacks and failures along the way, but if God gave you the vision, it's irrevocable. God wants to make our lives exceedingly fruitful and effective. Ephesians 1 says that he's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Peter writes that he has given us already all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In Deuteronomy 28, God says he wants you to be above, not below. He wants you to be the head, not the tail. But most of us limit ourselves by our own vision for our lives rather than saying, God, what do you want from my life? And I'll guarantee you this, his vision for you is way bigger than you pick, way bigger. And if it doesn't scare you, and if it doesn't tell you, well, I can't afford that. Well, I'm not smart enough to do that. Well, nobody in my family's ever done that. Well, I don't know how that'll come to be. Then it's probably not God. Because when he gives you a vision, it's going to scare the bejeepers the be- out of you. It's going to like, oh, Lord Jesus, I don't know if that's possible. No, it's not, unless he gets involved. Then it's possible, but it's going to start with what you see. God told a guy named Abraham, took this old goat out there, and he says, lift up your eyes, Abraham. Look north, south, east, and west. All the land you can see, I'll give it to you. Meaning if you can't see it, you can't. Well, I couldn't see myself driving that car. Well, don't worry, you won't. Just get you a mule. I couldn't see myself owning a house there. Then you won't. I can't see myself uh, accomplishing that, becoming that doing that, you won't. But you see it first before it ever becomes a reality. That's the whole purpose of a vision. God says, I want to show you something that you can become, that you can achieve, that you can do. I remember somebody uh, talked about Walt Disney, you know, at dedicating Epcot when it opened down in Orlando, and he had already passed away but it was his dream and vision. And somebody spoke to his wife at the dedication of Epcot and said, it sure is sad, Walt can't be here to see this. She said, are you mad? He saw this years ago. He designed it, it was his dream. He saw it, he saw it. What do you see? What do you see? Because if you can't see it, you can't have it. Who are you listening to? I mean, I, I can remember when I had a Volkswagen Beetle puke yellow, 200,000 miles on it, no air conditioning, and I lived in a 45-foot little trailer with roaches that would come out about 11 o'clock, big as a skateboard. <laughs> but I can remember driving that car through neighborhoods. I can remember looking at nice homes and yards, and I thought, I want that, and I'd like to have that. And I'd go to about car dealers occasionally, and back then, you could just walk in and sit in the seat, smell the leather, check it out look at the engine, check the price. It was way out of my reach, but it wasn't way out of my dream. Oh, no. I I could see it long before it ever became a reality. I remember this. um, Being raised in the military and and a father being a pilot, I wanted wanted to fly. I've never not wanted to fly since I was a young kid and in high school. And I would go out before terrorism. I'd go out to the airport and you could walk up in an airplane, open the door and sit in the thing and I took flights all over the world. I shot down MiGs all over the world. I dreamed and dreamed sitting in that airplane, and I couldn't afford the gas to take off. Didn't have a plane, didn't have the money, didn't have the license, but I had a dream, and I kept dreaming. One day, I'm gonna fly this sucker. One day, and I I probably would mention it in preaching or something as an ambition, and one Christmas, some member gave me a contract, a, a paid for private pilot's license. My gosh. Now I'd been dreaming and dreaming for years since I was four years old. I got a picture of me with my little push airplane at four. Always wanted to fly. And I went through that thing in 30 days. I'm done, took the FAA exam, got it. Then somebody else says, well, that was quick. I'm going to take care of, the, of your uh, multi-engine rating. Now I fly with twin engines. And I did that. And then somebody says, "Well, I'm going to buy you an instrument rating, and I got the instrument rate, And then somebody says, "Well, you need a commercial now. You can fly for hire." And somebody paid, and I got I got all those ratings in six months. Set a record in South Carolina. Now what what came out of me was years of dreaming. I didn't know. How didn't have the money, but I had the dream, and I never let it go. In fact, when I dated Cindy, we'd go out sometimes to the airport, and we'd do something besides make out. We would watch airplanes. (laughs) Come on, grow up. Watch watch the planes take off. Why? It was so in me, and all it needed was time to nurture and for God to work it. See, it may be beyond your means or your resources, but it's not beyond God's. And God can turn the heart of people any way he wants to come to your rescue and to help you. But he can't do a thing if you can't see it, if you can't see it, see? So what do you see, limitations or opportunities? Where there's no vision, people cast off restraint, go wild, perish. I would say where there's no vision in a person's life, they languish, they're lethargic. Other L words, they're lazy. They just live from paycheck to paycheck. They just drift. But where there's vision, People have discipline. They have restraints. So if I have a complaint, a dilemma, what do I need from God? I need a vision that can change my life. If I want to grow, if I want to change, if I want to be challenged, I need vision, fresh vision. So what is a vision? Phil Grant describes it as a vision is the dominant factor that governs your life. It determines all the choices you're making now. It's what's left after all the layers are peeled away like an onion clinging like glue to the inside of your rib cage. It's what your mind naturally gravitates towards when it is not legitimately concentrating on something else. It's what determines your friendships, your relationships that you're cultivating. It's what your prayers are about, what you dream about, what you're giving your money towards, a vision. What do you see? What's your? I remember coming to this town and going to a Pastors' associating meeting, trying to make some friends, meet somebody. I didn't know what I'm doing. I didn't know anybody. Didn't have any achievement. Didn't even have a building. We just had a little rent rented Econo Lodge or something at a, at a motel. And I remember sitting in that meeting and sitting in a luncheon. And I remember thinking, I don't belong here. This is pitiful. All they, well, we want to pass a resolution about what we're against and about this and that. And, oh, and I just sat there and I thought, that's what you see. That's all you guys can see. And I never went back, never, because that wasn't my vision. That wasn't big enough. And so I walked away. Some of you need to walk away from some people who who limit your vision. They, they, They want you to stay a grasshopper right? Don't do that. Jonathan Swift wrote, vision is the art of seeing things invisible. Yeah, they're not yet, but you see them. You dream about them. You see them. See, a God-given vision brings focus to your lives. When you know you're doing what God made you to do, it gives you focus, discipline. It concentrates effort, thinking, praying, money, service, and risk into a laser beam. That focus, right? Because of what I know I'm supposed to be doing, also tells me what I'm not supposed to be doing. So many times, Judy will get emails and stuff, she says, now Rick, I know what you're gonna say. (laughs) She ought to, she's been with me since I started. She knows what my vision, what I feel like we're called to do as a church and as a person, and when it's outside those boundaries, it's simple, a two-letter word, no. It's not bad, but for me, it's no. You can't answer every call. You can't jump on every horse that runs by. Your vision will give you boundaries. Anything outside of that? No. Anything inside of that? I'm in. A God-given vision, therefore, keeps us from being a jack of all trades and a master of none. There are a lot of good things to do in this world, but you and I are not called to do all of them. That's not possible. Remember, a vision brings restraint. I simply can't support every cause in town. A vision concentrates a channel for my boat to run in safely. If I get out of that channel, I'll run aground, break up on the rocks. But a vision brings restraint. It creates boundaries. And a God-given vision will get you through anything. If you can hang on to your vision, you can get through almost anything. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, what 's holding you back what 's holding you down huh that 's a weight That's not a sin it 's just something you need to let go of it 's not helping you it 's not advancing you. in fact it 's slowing you down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Have you ever noticed if you watch Olympic runners, they will wear the flimsiest Outfit that Nike or Adidas or Puma can make. They don't want weight. They don't wear socks. And if they run a long race, they tell me that after 15 miles, every ounce feels like 16 ounces a pound. So they even have jewelers file down the bottom of their shoes to limit weight. If you're a racer, you don't want drag. So they wear the thinnest non-complex you don't see a guy that's got on three jumpers and a hoodie and uh, and and carrying a backpack because it's going to weigh him down God says what's weighing you down a relationship going nowhere cut it off loose that thing you know strip down so you, you an airplane to fly fast has to reduce drag that's why they came out with flush rivets so that wind blows by doesn't touch it makes it go smoother if I wax an airplane, I'll get about five knots faster out of it, or the boat. If you take a boat and wax the bottom and clean it, you'll get about five to seven knots more of speed out, because you didn't realize the moss you can't even see. A film creates drag and slows it down. Some of you need to do a little cleaning up of moss and mildew and barnacles and shave them off so you can go faster. Yeah, really, okay? But it says of Jesus, he was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he would knew that would occur afterward. He saw you. Now he's seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. Think about all he endured when sinful people did such horrible things to him so that you don't become weary and give up. Notice he says, fix your eyes on what? On your problems? On all the things that are bringing you down? No, no here's the sin that so easily besets us are you ready discouragement I I get I feel it too yeah it's so easy to get discouraged today to lose heart but so you don't lose heart the writer gives us an example so that you're able to run your race set before you the one you are supposed to run with your gifts and your callings and your abilities and make it to the finish line who cares how you started if you don't finish I got in this thing to finish right And and I don't think I'm close to the finish line. So here's how he says, look at Jesus. How many know that at the finish line, there he is beckoning you? on. Come on, baby, you can make it. And what does God want us to see when we look at Jesus? He made it. He made it through rejection, opposition, hostility you and I will never have to face. We often think what we're going through is the worst thing in the world. And the Bible says, oh, knock it off. What you're going through cannot remotely compare with what Jesus went through. And how could Jesus endure the terrible ordeal he had for the joy that was set in front of him? That's vision. That's vision. He looked beyond the shame, the jeering, the cross, the sin that he would become for you and me, and he saw that one day the earth would be filled with the glory of God because of what he was about to do. He saw 2,000 years beyond the cross and saw you. He saw that you would give your heart to him, that you would love and serve him, that you would be reconciled to God through him. He had a vision. And that vision was more important than how he felt. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But if not, not my will, thy will be done. Wow. You got to see something way bigger in the future as a reward than the sacrifice you're currently going to make. And if you can see that, you can get through anything. If you have a vision and you hang on to it, no matter what, you can get through anything. Habakkuk teaches us three important elements of a God-given vision. Number one, keep it simple. Don't write a PhD thesis for your vision. Peter Drucker says, if you can't put it on a t-shirt, it's too long. I want to be a church that motivates and inspires people to grow, to think, by giving them tools for life transformation. We need a vision not only for church, but we need a vision for each of our lives. If your vision for your finances is just to have enough for you, oh, your vision is way too small. Every now and then, I have to go to people and ask for something. We have a couple... Uh, we, we needed a car for some, some people coming from out of state uh, to, to, to meet a need, and there were no rental cars available. And one of our members had several cars, said, they can have, my, they can have this car the whole week, no problem, no charge. See, when you've got abundance in many things, it makes it easy to sow into different things beyond your need. God's thinking, I hope you think way beyond you and what I need. I want to have more than enough so I can help any cause or ministry or mission or person the Lord directs me to. How can you do that if you're just getting by? How you doing, brother? Well, I'm hanging in there. Oh, joy to the world. (laughs) Well, I'm surviving. I'm bump along, hang in there. That's no life. That's not what God said. So you need a vision for your life. And secondly, it'll come to pass at exactly the right time. Probably not your time, but the right time. Not too late, not too soon. If it seems slow, God says, wait for it. It will surely take place. It will not be. If God makes you a promise, he will move the sun back 10 degrees. He will raise the dead. He will preserve you, your youth. He will do anything to make it come true. If he says, you're going to have a baby and you're a hundred years old, you still better go get some nursery furniture get you some mobiles and paint a room. You're going to have a kid. I know it may look bad, but you're going to have one if he said so. He said, not one word of the Lord has promised you has ever failed. God will not fail on a promise to you. And he will reverse any situation towards your favor. He can turn the heart of a pagan king to help you. God can use people that aren't safe to help you. Think of that. you got to get a bigger God and a bigger vision. Galatians 6, verse 7, don't be misled. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So don't get tired of doing what is good and right. Don't get discouraged and give up, for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. See, hang on to that vision and don't give up. And one reason, things often get worse before they get better. is so you know it was God when it comes to pass. So stop, you know, sowing complaining. Stop sowing criticism. Stop sowing pulling down of others. Because if you sow it, you're going to reap it. And third, it requires faith. He says, the just shall live by his faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. So how does God use vision to change us. First, in our attitude, we stop complaining. I'm going to get there. I hate the situation today, but it's going to change. That's where I want to go. My attitude is not complaint, but perseverance. Secondly, in our behavior and actions in who we become. And third, in the results we get in life. First, we change, then our external situation begins to change. Now, listen to this. This is Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He will make me as a sure-footed as a deer and bring me safely over the mountains. So the first chapter of Habakkuk is complaining. The last chapter, he's singing. He's received a life-altering vision. Now Habakkuk takes on a no matter what, that vision's coming true. And his attitude is, if the fig tree doesn't blossom, I still believe. If there are no grapes on the vine, not moving me, I still believe. If the cattle barns are empty, I still believe. If my air conditioner fails in August in San Antonio, I still believe. If COVID goes another year, I still believe. I believe in the vision that God gave me. I believe in the promises of God more than the problem. I believe in the eternal more than the temporal. I believe in the invisible more than the visible. I believe in the power of God more than the power of adversity set against me. I close with this thought. George Mallory was the first man to decide to climb Mount Everest, British guy, so he gathered a team together to try and scale the highest point on planet Earth. In his first attempt, they failed. In the second year, he tried again and failed again. On the third attempt, an avalanche took Mallory's life. Upon returning to the UK, the remaining team held a memorial dinner, and in the hall where the dinner was held, they surrounded it with pictures of George Mallory and the Sherpa, who also died with him. Among those pictures was one of Mount Everest itself. And as the solemn night grew to a close, one of the surviving team members stood up crying. And then he lifted up his voice, and he pointed at the picture of Mount Everest. And he shouted us, Mount Everest, you defeated us once. You defeated us twice. Mount Everest, you defeated us three times. But we shall ultimately defeat you, because you can't get any bigger. But we can. And I don't know what you're facing today. It can't get bigger, but you can. The devil can't get bigger, but you can. You can grow. You can get more wisdom. You can increase strong in faith. You can get bigger and better, but the enemy cannot. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.